My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of SMEA VC, I sat down with Christian Ray Goza, founding partner at Illuminar Ventures and venture partner at Dangels. Before his current roles, Christian spent three years at AIG in New York on their fixed income, private equity, and hedge fund teams. He is also an on-deck fellow. In this episode of SMEA VC, we discuss Christian's thoughts on Latin America's PropTech ecosystem, what Christian would say to an investor worried about socio-political risk in Latin America, how Christian leverages his geographic location in San Francisco to invest in Latin America, and why you can't build a tech ecosystem without support from government and universities. We talked about all this and more in this episode of SMEA VC. Okay, Christian, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about what you're doing at Illuminar Ventures right now and what your role is on a day-to-day basis? Of course, and thank you, Trip, for having me on. Um, so I run a fund called Illuminati Ventures. We started about two years ago um, after spinning out from a much larger firm in the U.S. called Gangels, where I was previously an early employee, um, kind of saw them grow into almost a billion dollar a year kind of um, deployment rate at the peak in 2021. Um, uh, for a little bit of context, they started originally as an angel group um, primarily focused on investing in LGBTQ-oriented kind of companies um, and comprised mostly of New York-based angels. Um, that group obviously sort of grew um, uh, after 2014 as the push for sort of more uh, inclusion um, and, and, and sort of diversity um, uh, was going on within the sort of corporate and tech sector. And so there were a lot of uh, companies increasingly coming to the folks at Angels and looking for help with things like uh, diverse board search, um, talent hiring, best practices. And the uh, another unique element of Angels is that um, the sort of investor base itself is also very, very um, diverse. And so having diversity on the cap table is really important to a lot of folks. So anyhow, they, they grew very large um, and sort of the opportunity to focus on LATAM through Illuminar Came up about two years ago as we began doing more investments in the region through Gangels. Um, and I sort of saw a really interesting opportunity um, within the region um, in contrast with what I felt I was seeing in the US, which seemed a bit more inflated. I think a lot less um, impactful on average in terms of just the ability to really massively sort of change people's lives and build the infrastructure that was missing um, in, in emerging markets. And so dive deeper into LATAM, got buy-in from the partners at Gangels to start uh, the Illuminar brand. Um, and, and, you know, since then we've invested in about 30 companies. We're fairly agnostic. Um, we're actually now in the process of um, launching our, our seed fund, which will do fewer than 30 investments. I think that that 30 um, that we have in the portfolio of 32 actually um, having at a time when uh, I think deal pace was really high. We've slowed down a bit just because of the current sort of macro situation. Um, but out of the fund, we'll target, uh, uh, you know, seed investments in Spanish speaking Latin, uh, focus on fintech marketplaces, uh, e-commerce related businesses, broadly SaaS, edtech and health tech. Um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, we hope to start investing out of that vehicle uh, in the next few months. Amazing. I appreciate that introduction. I'd be interested to know, how did you create that investment thesis? And then because of the way the whole fund is structured, it wasn't inherently LATAM at the beginning. So I think a lot of that onus on selling LATAM was from you. So I'd be interested to know, how did you sell LATAM to people who maybe weren't initially on board in, in that um, because the fund was focused at, at Gangels with, with a different focus and you brought that focus on LATAM? So I'd, I'd love to know how you 
put that spotlight on the region? Yeah, so so I think um, you know, coming from specifically the Gangels perspective, um, they have a very, I think, different approach to venture investing than most um uh sort of firms out there in that they're extremely high volume, they're very syndicate oriented, um, and the kinds of signals that they're looking for to participate in rounds um are are largely sort of co-investor quality. Um, I, I, you know, I would say is like the number one thing, right? And obviously alignment with the mission, wanting to use our services. Um, so I'd say the two sort of interesting things about Gangles are that they're extremely services led, which is something that I carry into the Illuminar experience. And um, they're very, uh, I, I think their sort of thesis is if they want to get sort of top decile, top quartile uh, venture returns, um, uh, and they have all this really incredible access, right? You know, a thousand portfolio companies, we see a crap ton of deal flow. Um, how do we sort of just index on, on quality? I think we do that by co-investing specifically alongside really tier one, top desk outperforming lead venture funds. So the one thing that Gangels has, has not done um, during its existence has been sort of leading any venture rounds. And for us, at Illuminar, I think the opportunity in LATAM um, was kind of born out of a similar desire to invest with the best um, and, and increasingly the best we're looking in the region. So initially, at least, you know, um, uh, I think the opportunity became more appealing from a Gangles perspective because folks like Sequoia and Andreessen and GGV and whatever um, were increasingly deploying in the region. There were increasingly success stories um, coming out of the region. And so the timing from the sort of um, perspective of the way that Kangels invest was, was good um, for us to start more actively deploying the region. And then, you know, my, my personal interest in, in doing so um, in alignment with that way of investing um, was just born out of, I think, fatigue again with the really sort of inflated dynamics that I saw in the US venture market. I think valuations were getting really, really stretched into 2020, 2021. Um, I wasn't particularly very interested in the Web3 crypto thing, and I felt like a lot of my peers were kind of moving that direction, but I didn't really get the sense that a lot of people <laughs> knew what they were investing in. And, and so I, I think like when it came down to wanting to invest in something that was like, um, you know, real tangible value creating um, and a little more, I think, intelligible than say like, again, the Web3 crypto opportunity, I just saw that more in sort of the global venture opportunity outside of the US. Um, and so, you know, our thesis in LATAM has been largely uh, an infrastructural one is the way that I will describe it. Um, again, it's a lot of the sort of missing rails and digital infrastructure that exists in places like the US or Europe or Asia um, in a much more mature way. And I think that gap in maturity is what's really, really interesting to me from, um, you know, my investing focus going forward, there's a lot of value, like on the order of trillions of dollars of catch up with markets like China and the US um, that is just waiting to be created. And, a you know, a consumer um, in the region that is increasingly prepared and geared up to um, take up a number of the really great new products that are being brought to market in the region. And you went to the PropTech LATAM Summit. I'd be interested to know, yeah, A, a how was your experience there? But then B, tell us a bit more about your thoughts on PropTech and LATAM. Interesting question. Um, very sector specific. 
Uh, yeah, I did go to the PropTech um, conference briefly um, uh, in Mexico City. I think that was back in like August or something, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, I think that's a space that that uh, is very well capitalized within uh, the Latin region. There was quite a bit of interest, especially I feel like sort of um, last year, we have a number of PropTechs in our portfolio in uh, Mexico, in Colombia in particular, um, Colombia especially, like Medellin for some reason, uh, uh, has has quite a high density of prop tech startups. Um, you know, I think our view is 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 not so different from what I was describing before, right? I think we really like um, uh, the sort of uh, enablement kind of a thing within um, the prop tech space in Latin America. Uh, we're investors in companies like Navor or Vecindario or Around, which all kind of have different, um, touch different areas within the PropTech opportunity. But I think the unifying factor is that um, they just make it a lot easier to either, you know, help uh, consumers find uh, or manage their, their sort of rental or real estate needs or companies like on the, on the Around case, um, you know, find lower cost, high quality office space that otherwise wouldn't exist without someone like it and around to sort of um, uh, kind of fill the gap that that many landlords, for example, in, in uh, Mexico City um, needed help filling. Uh, I think like uh, real estate also is a very familiar space to uh, I think the Latin American kind of uh investor and so as a function of that outside of just the 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 needs within the space um it's it's a familiar uh profile of investment with tech layered onto it and so i think we see um a, a lot of dollars kind of chasing the prop tech opportunity more recently and i think that'll probably continue just because uh, Latin is a very prop tech real estate kind of heavy uh, um geography, in my opinion. And so what would you tell American investors who are investing in Latin America, knowing what you know? Oh, oh man, so many things. I mean, that's one of my, um, maybe not frustrations, uh, but uh, certainly my, uh, it comes up a lot. Um, I think American investors at the peak, uh, and when I say the peak, I really mean like 2020, 2021, um, were kind of to some degree forced into emerging markets a bit more than maybe they would have been simply because the opportunity for generating, um, you know, returns and yield within uh, domestic markets was uh, just, you know, 10 years of zero interest rate policy will will kind of hamper your ability to, to, to uh, as an allocator, make a meaningful return. And so emerging markets sort of provided a new outlet for um, folks who were kind of potentially crowded out by an increasingly inflated, lower returning uh, US market. And so that value was found in places like LATAM, Africa, South Asia, et cetera. Um, I think the narrative today uh, obviously has changed with the change in the sort of macro situation. Rates have gone up extremely quickly. And so the opportunity cost to be in uh, emerging markets 
and with that associated risk has seemingly gone up, right? I think if you're a global allocator with a fairly cross-asset mandate, um, uh, you're suddenly way more interested in investing in fixed income um, uh, than you were two years ago when fixed income yielded next to nothing. Um, and so that comes with consequences, right? I think venture as an asset class um, has, has seen capital shift away and a sort of selectivity in terms of um, quality of managers, quality of individual deals um, becoming much more prioritized just because the, the, the long run potential for capital availability has diminished. And so given the constraints around capital availability that people are, are thinking about in the future, the question for an American investor then is, do I really want to be allocating my marginal dollar into a risky emerging market where I don't have a ton of sort of maybe local context or understanding? Or would I rather um, pair back on private investments and um, participate in something that's much more familiar to me in a market that I know better? Um, and I think that that is a logic, again, from, from a, a, an asset allocator perspective that makes sense to me. But I do think that there is a, a real cost to allocators who don't do the, the homework of trying to understand the potential for value creation in places like Latin America. Um, and I think it's a real missed opportunity, right? I think um, uh, the, the, the mix of investments within a global portfolio will necessarily have to change given the rates picture. Um, but if I were an allocator um, and I was thinking about specifically my venture bucket, I think the trend globally is more dollars going to non-US venture investments and 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 justifiably so because of again what I mentioned earlier, just the overall lack of infrastructure that could be um, uh, sort of uh, sold in some of these markets. Um, I think you know if you're not investing in in Latin America, you're going to miss out on a ton of new tech that uh, is fundamentally viable. Um, and, you know, I think if you're an allocator, you'll be worse off for it. I think if you're the ecosystem and you're, you're suffering some of the consequences of allocators, not necessarily looking at the region as closely, like the ecosystem will grow a little more slowly, but overall the need is really there. Um, and I think that presents a really interesting opportunity for us investors who are willing to do the homework and, and take the risk of going into a market that isn't their own, um, is my sort of winded answer. <laughs> Amazing. And you, you mentioned the risk. I think one of those risks that, you know, we don't really quantify in, in um, Western Europe and North America would be sociopolitical risk. We kind of take that as like the, the standard. But then when you look at a place like Africa, South Asia um, or Latin America, it's something that, you know, maybe is, is an argument in the other direction. So what would you say to that LP who's on the, on the fence about investing in Latin America and, and you know, how, how could there be such tech innovation if there is the concurrent sociopolitical risk? Yeah. So, I mean, sociopolitical risk can mean a lot of things, um, especially in Latin America. And I think um, we're all familiar with, you know, a long history of potential instability um, when it comes to um, things like government mismanagement or civil unrest, which are still themes that you see within the region today. Um, I, I think, you know, Latin America it shouldn't be seen as a monolith in terms of the politics um, embedded within the region. 
Um, I think as a firm, we are extremely thoughtful about where we are putting dollars to work, um, uh, sort of being cognizant that some places are more subject to geopolitical and socioeconomic related risk um, than others. And I think um, uh, that doesn't mean that they're not necessarily investable, but the risks embedded in those um, economies, I think, uh, have to be accounted for. Um, I think, uh, you know, there are interesting trends, I think, that could be either positive or negative for the venture opportunity within the region. Um, obviously, the thing that everyone is talking about today is sort of the turn toward the left within um, sort of the ruling uh, parties in a, a number of the Latin American countries, um, and especially in sort of the two biggest, right, Mexico and Brazil, as well as Colombia. Um, and I think like the, the turn toward leftist, more populist politics um, can be risky in a world where uh, authoritarianism starts to seep in <laughs> to the political context. And I think that there are sort of um, hints of that within certain markets, but I, I'm not as um, terrified of it all as I think um, maybe folks local on the ground in places like, um, I, I won't name countries because I have relationships with various government folks, so I don't want to start pointing fingers. Um, uh, but, you know, I think there's there's a lot of um, fear among particularly the moneyed um, kind of family office crowds. Uh, on on changes to policy that could be in their eyes very catastrophic. The way I see it, I actually think that it's less catastrophic and and something that you potentially also see in in the U.S. Right? I think it's often changes to tax policy, um, uh, uh, changes to sort of infrastructure and energy policy, um, and I think that does ultimately impact highly wealthy people in the region. Um, but I also think some of the some of the sort of uh, catastrophizing is is mm, a little uh, overdone, um, and I also think the populist narrative is um, not necessarily a negative for the entrepreneurial communities um, in some of these countries. Right, like when I speak to certain senior government folks in certain countries. They're much more interested in things related to uh, natural resources, energy, and these very, very large projects. I think the, from a populist standpoint, having local entrepreneurs doesn't necessarily hurt um, sort of uh, folks in leadership. If anything, they can kind of point to a growing, maturing local ecosystem of um, sort of thriving entrepreneurs and see that as a win. Um, um, I think, I think inequality is a really big issue across the region. And I think that there are ways that, you know, potentially more populist leaders can harness entrepreneurial opportunity to actually try to create um, uh, uh, equalizing forces for their communities, if they're smart, right? Like, I think we're at the really early innings, um, and a lot of policy has yet to catch up with um, supporting the entrepreneur, but I'm definitely seeing, especially in some of the larger economies, a concerted effort to try to do things to be supportive and not for the sort of tech opportunity within some of these countries. So I would love to hear about where you live. And I, because I know that answer, past guests like you, like Yvonne and, and he, Yvonne Montoya talked about how he leverages. No, Yvonne, very yes. well. 
Of course, and and connecting in a, in a in a verbal sense to the fact that he leverages his position in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and and invests in the region. Um, so I'd love to 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 hear about how you you leverage your geography and then how often you're traveling down to the region um, and you know being down there as well. So I'd love to hear about that 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 whole arc. Totally. So I think um, uh, sort of not to totally repeat what Yvonne said, but I think being in the Bay Area, which is where I live, um, is is very helpful because we ultimately see ourselves as cross-border investors at Luminar. Um, you know, we leverage our really strong relationship with angels to, you know, bring access to the U.S. market uh, for Latin American entrepreneurs who by virtue of being in places like Buenos Aires or Bogota, um, you know, just don't have the same kind of network um, as one might have if they were building a company in San Francisco or New York. Um, and so my being here, I think, um, uniquely provides the opportunity to see what's going on within the domestic sort of U.S. tech and VC ecosystem and bring those sort of learnings and observations to um, a lot of which is a completely different and independently thriving ecosystem, um, but one that really benefits from, um, you know, someone like us who can help connect really talented entrepreneurs in the region with U.S.-based venture funds who have a long-standing history and track record of building billion-dollar businesses, um, uh, bringing really deep strategic expertise, uh, but who maybe aren't as often in Latin America, seeing the opportunity and meeting entrepreneurs, right? So I think being here, um, you know, provides an advantage in terms of being a helpful connector um, in a cross-border way, helping bring more capital to Latin America from the U.S., being sort of a champion and advocate for what is happening in the region among um, my relationships in the Bay Area, New York. Um, and I think that's really valuable. I think the other component too is uh, seeing what's going on in and having grown up in the U.S. context um, lets me do a lot of the comparing and contrasting uh, between the sort of level of maturity of the ecosystem here in the U.S. and and identifying what might be missing in LATAM and trying to sort of prioritize allocating resources to those types of problems. The, the big glaring one for me is the opportunity to develop and place talent more efficiently within LATAM. Um, I, anyone who's ever heard my pitch knows the story that I tell, which is like, if you're a computer science major at UC Berkeley on day one, you're like, I want to work at Google, Facebook, whatever. And then the Googles and the Facebooks come on campus and they tell you about their internship opportunity and the culture is very understood to you. And the curriculum at the university is very much geared toward the needs of the private tech sector today. Um, and then those students eventually do the internship, join full time. There's a lot of this like um, sort of talent development going on from day one because the cultural opportunity is so well communicated. And I don't think that that communication is necessarily happening in Latin right now. And so what we really want to do as a firm um, is, you know, we're really ecosystem focused. Uh, again, the Gangels thing, we're co-investors, we don't lead. And so that gives us the opportunity to do things that lead investors might not have as much flexibility to do, um, such as helping build out some of these uh, ecosystem level infrastructures. Um, and that includes working with universities in places like Mexico and Colombia, working with government to try to um, push forward with building the infrastructure that I see already built in the US. 
um, and connect our portfolio companies to that infrastructure. At the end of the day, if you don't have, pe have people who have a good framework for understanding how to operate in an engineering team or, or do growth roles or any of these like sort of in-demand, low supply kind of skill sets, you just can't build great companies. And so we really um, want to leverage our understanding from the US context and, and try to expedite the growth of that ecosystem in Latin America. Totally agreed. And okay, so finally, I'm going to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Samia VC twist. What important truth do you believe that very few people agree with you on, specifically about Latin America? Yeah, I mean, so important truth that people aren't seeing related to Latin America. Um, well, I mean, I would actually probably go back to what I was literally just talking about a second ago, which is, um, you know, the capital has arrived. Um, and I, I see the capital sticking around in, in large part. Um, and I think that, um, you know, venture firms have cropped up to increasingly provide necessary funding to build these great products in the region. Um, but I think there's just so much more work to do outside of the context of providing capital within the region. And so um, the, the truth that maybe I would like to share is like, um, I don't think that you can build a long-term sustainable um, tech ecosystem without investing in, you know, prioritizing what has made the U.S. so successful, which is support from government and support from a university um, sort of ecosystem within the region. And so I really see it um, as, as one of my uh, personal and professional goals in the Illuminar context to try to be that person who facilitates so many more of those conversations with senior folks in government, with universities, um, to create uh, everything else that's missing. Again, the money is there. The money, I think, will continue to grow and be an available uh, supply for really talented entrepreneurs in the region. Um, but that's only one part of the problem. And until the rest of the ecosystem can really begin investing in things like education, um, things like in, in inclusiveness and bringing folks outside of the sort of Lomas and Monterrey um, um, kind of uh, uh, parts of, of the world. Um, I, I think we will just be at a slower pace of growth in the region. And so it's really important to me to, to invest in that. What a great answer. Christian, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Samia VC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you, Trip. Thank you for the time. Have a good one. Thank you for watching this episode of Samia VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. And don't forget to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.